And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the Blue Wire podcast network as well as the HubSpot podcast network. Now, the HubSpot podcast network has incredible shows like The Hustle Daily. It's hosted by Zachary Crockett, Jacob Cohen, Rob Litterst, and Juliet Bennett Ryla. Now, The Hustle Daily brings you a healthy dose of irreverent, offbeat, and informative takes on business, tech, and news, and it happens daily. So if you want to stay up to date on the latest and greatest, and some of these topics are interesting to you, then you're going to love The Hustle Daily. Uh, Topics like Amazon's grocery strategy, the rise of the ugly shoe economy, is AI the secret to love, and America's sleep deficit problem. So if these are topics you want to get into and you love hearing up-to-date content whenever you wake up in the morning, Go listen to The Hustle Daily wherever you listen to your podcast. Today, my guest is Adam Weissenberg. He is the Vice Chair and Chief Global Officer for Deloitte's U.S. Audit and Assurance Practice. He has spent the majority of his career with Deloitte. He is also the Asia-Pacific Leader for the U.S. Global Office. In addition, he serves on Deloitte's Board of Directors. and As a board member, Adam is responsible for governance and oversight of the U.S. firm. In his global roles, Adam helps drive the U.S. strategy around global issues while ensuring leadership alignment from the firm's most important accounts. Adam has strong relationships with executives across Deloitte's global network to enhance seamless delivery. In addition to these roles, he serves as the lead client service partner for a Fortune 200 client, as well as an advisory partner on multiple Fortune 500 clients. Based in New York, Adam has been quoted in national publications, including the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, USA Today, Forbes, uh, Condé Nast, and Travel and Leisure, and he has been a guest on CNBC, Fox Business News, and Bloomberg. So we got an inside look with Adam throughout his, we spoke about his career, obviously, we spoke about his origin story, but then we went into his growth with Deloitte. We got an inside look at the inner workings of Deloitte, how Deloitte functions, how Deloitte grows, how Deloitte stays nimble and stays disruptive, even when they're such a large organization, how they navigated COVID, how they hire the best talent, how they figure out new initiatives, new business initiatives to take on, some things they've done differently throughout COVID. We're learning from one of the largest management consultant, uh, financial consultant organizations in the world and how to build a business properly and then how to navigate some of the most tumultuous times in recent history that can definitely impact your business in a very negative way. So how does the best do it? That's what I'm hoping to uncover with Adam and Deloitte. Hopefully you enjoy. This is Adam Weissenberg, Vice Chair and Chief Global Officer for Deloitte's U.S. offices. 
Thanks. So, so I, I, you know, I, I typically start with uh, my, my, my dad was a professor. And so when I was, uh, when I was 10, um, we went overseas when he was on sabbatical. And so I, I got to go to Europe and I, I got to go to Israel for six months. And, you know, at that point it was really, really my first time traveling anywhere, you know, especially outside the U S and so, um, for whatever reason, I came really infatuated with, with hotels and staying in different places. And so, you know, fa- fast forward through, through high school and, uh, you know, looking for what I want to do in college. My, my, my dad, who um, was a Cornell grad for his PhD, he's like, hey, there's this great hotel school. And I'm like, that sounds interesting. So um, literally, literally applied to one college, um, early, early decision, got into Cornell, had, didn't, didn't really have a plan B. So that was, uh, that was a good thing. Um, and, you know, went, went there for uh, hotel management. And so, you know, I, I always thought I would be running hotels, um, you know, hotel general manager. That was, that was kind of my dream. So, um, graduated and time I graduated, which is 85 was, was not a great time for the industry. So I, so I, uh, interviewed with pretty much every brand out there and, uh, was not having a lot of luck because there weren't a lot of hiring going on. And, and thank God, you know, probably one of the big things I, I learned in life early on is, is having a network. Um, one of, one of my friends in my fraternity had worked for Marriott the summer, um, before. And when I went into my interview with Marriott, the, the guy interviewing said, Hey, you're, you're friends with this guy, you know, his name was Phil. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay, you have a job. I mean, literally that was it. So, you know, the power, the power of network, I learned a really strong age. So uh, early age. So, so started working in the hotel business, you know, hated it. Um, so, so my lifelong dream quickly came crashing down to reality. I was a front desk manager, did not like it um was like i do not want to do this so so left there went went into the you know food service business was a food service director for a few years and uh you know liked that but didn't didn't really see kind of a a long-term future there so you know same time i was you know my dad once again introduced me to some of his colleagues Um, one was an accounting guy and i was like hey that 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 sounds interesting and different and you know you can never go wrong getting an accounting degree and a cpa um so i ended up going to business school i went to, to columbia um, got an MBA CPA, you know, kind, kind of a unique path at Columbia. There's about 1,600 students at Columbia, I would say, of the MBA program. There were probably five of us on the CPA path. So it was just pretty small. Um, but but I, I graduated, you know, and was able to get a job with Deloitte um, doing, you know, accounting work, starting on the auditing side. I got my CPA, had my MBA. And, you know, that that was, uh, you know, 29 years ago, which, which is crazy. I, I thought I'd spend two or three years at Deloitte and go out and work in industry like everyone else does. But um, I, I liked it and I've, I've been lucky. I was able to kind of take my, my passion for industry and merge that with my accounting background and help grow our, you know, we call it THS practice travel, travel hospitality and services. And so I, I was you know, at, uh, at the beginning of that was we didn't really have much of a practice and, you know, got to spend a lot of time externally getting known and doing things and speaking with the media and going to conferences and then internally, you know, working with some of our top clients focused on that industry and getting to know it, you know, not, not just auditing. I also, you know, did work with consulting and so forth. And, you know, that, that was kind of big part of my career. I ran that practice for, you know, 15, 16 years. Um, and then, you know, eventually got asked to take on an audit leadership role. Um, about six years ago and worked with uh, our, our current CEO, who was then the CEO of the audit practice and helping to really focus on growth um, and audit. You know, we had, we had always will be focused on quality, but we also were wanted to get back in the marketplace. And so um, I helped to drive that. And then after that, 
on the last two years, I, I uh, got some new roles when when uh, the CEO of the Opera became the CEO of the firm. Um, and now I run Asia Pacific, you know, for the whole U.S. firm. So, you know, pre-COVID was traveling to Asia once a month. Haven't been there, as you can imagine, in a year and a half. And I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon. We can talk more about that. And then uh, also I uh, was elected to the board of directors at Deloitte about a, a year and a half ago. You know, every Every year we elect, um, it's an internal board. We elect some of our partners um, onto the board. We have 18 um, board members. And so I got a chance to do that, but you know, went to my first meeting, it was live and then COVID hit. And so I've been doing virtual <laughs> for about a year and now now we're back to, to, to live again, hopefully. So it's, 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 been, it's been an interesting run, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my story. So, you know, industry guy all along. And then, you know, last few years had a chance to be a leader. You know, at the same time, I, I would say I always serving clients, you know, still the, we call an LCSP, the lead client service partner on, on one of our big accounts, um, you know, which, which I love doing. So, so that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell. So, so walk me through, so you've been with Deloitte for a long time. So walk me through even like transformation of, <laughs> that's like putting it lightly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you've, you've been with Deloitte for most of your, almost your entire career. Um, so walk me through like the transformation that Deloitte's gone through, because I'm sure there's been many iterations of what Deloitte is, the vision, how they serve their clients, what types of clients they serve and how it's evolved, but even how it's like probably fast forwarded in the past two years as well. So curious about that. Yeah, it's it's amazing, Scott. I mean, so, you know, I started with the firm in 92 um, and that was right after the merger um, of, you know, Deloitte, Haskins and Sells and Touche Ross. You know, there was the big eight, which then, you know, went down to the to the big six and eventually became the big four. Um, and so, you know, there, there was a lot going on there. Two, two very different cultures um, came together. Um, we were primarily an audit firm with tax, very small consulting practice. Um, and, and that's what all the big four were. And, you know, um, putting us together got us, you know, into the into the you know, larger size. But we were, those were two relatively small firms compared to some of the competitors out there. Um, I, I don't know the numbers, but I'm going to guess I'll make it up. Our revenue probably a billion, maybe if that, in those days. And, uh, you know, we're going to be close to, you know, mid-20s billion in revenue this year, U.S. Um, and I think this is, you know, this is all, and we disclose all this, and we do a report every year, and then probably, you know, well over 100,000 employees. You know, I, I would, I, you know, I would, I would imagine back in 92, no one could have envisioned how, how large we would come. And so what's interesting is, um our consulting practice has has become very significant. You know, we we consult, you know, government, commercial across all the industries, you know, technology, human capital, um, cyber. I mean, you know, you you name it, we do consulting. And that, that has become a very large part of our practice. You know, audit and tax will always be a, a significant base um, and very important to us with what we do with the, you know, the capital markets and the public. But our traditional competitors were always the other big four. Um, and now that's really shifted because now when we're doing, you know, big consulting, we're competing with a lot of the, you know, IBM's, the Accenture's of the world's and McKinsey's. Um, and it's really shifted, you know, in terms of who we look at and who we think about. And it's also changed our workforce. You know, we hire a lot of people into our consulting practices. Um, and, you know, that that's a very different skill set than, you know, traditionally being an, you know, an auditor tax professional where you, you have to have either a CPA or law degree or something like that. So it's a much different skill, a lot more MBAs. Um, at the same time, the other big transformation that's happened for us is we we built a delivery center in India, um, you know, for U.S. employees. And, you know, that's probably about 30, 40,000 people now. 
and that that's critical. That's been you know really really important to us. We you know they're they're excellent excellent people who do an amazing job and are able to help leverage the U.S. and deliver you know resources and for projects and so forth. And you know that that also diversified us a little bit. So not everyone's in the U.S. now, and so um, it's a it's a real change in culture. You know having to you know, think about, you know, what are our people in India doing, you know, who are part of the U.S. at the same time, you know, dealing with the U.S. But, you know, we've, you know, we, we are in 26 sectors, you know, it's, it's, it's just unbelievable to me. You know, we have probably close to 3,000 partners. Um, and so you, you look at these things and, and back in 92 when I joined in a million years, I can never imagine how big we were and how many, how many different areas we've been involved in, but it's, it's, it's great. And, and you know, the good news is we're still growing significantly and I think uh, we'll continue kind of on this path of growth. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, the new year might have you thinking ahead to what you want out of your career. So when you think about your success story, what do you actually picture? Is it retiring early with a beautiful view of the skyline? Is it leaving a legacy with your name on it? Or maybe it's helping influence and change some of the world's most pressing issues. Whatever it is, writing your success story starts by working smart because when you work smart your success story writes itself a hubspot crm platform helps your marketing campaigns work harder and smarter with intuitive visual workflows and bot builders you can create scalable automated campaigns across email social media web and chat so your customers hear your messages loud and clear are you tired of your content not adapting to mobile making it difficult for your customers to absorb your message a hubspot crm platform optimizes your content for multiple devices so that you can reach your customers wherever they are which is just smart learn more about how you can transform your customer experience with a hubspot crm at hubspot.com do you do you feel like um do you feel like there was something that Deloitte did to grow gracefully because that's not an easy transition as well. So I'm curious as to <laughs> because like I think that I think that through all the all the you know the digital transformation that your clients have gone through, um, the fact that you are and I'm gonna just I think it's mostly professional services business that is really like the core competency of Deloitte. You are a professional services. You have to not only understand your client's digital transformation, but you have to find the right talent internally that can manage those types of uh, clients. So how did you manage that landscape to move from major focus on tax audit um, to more of competing with the IBMs and the McKinsey's? Because that's really impressive. That's very impressive. Um, and I'm sure it wasn't easy. No, it, it, it wasn't. You know, one, one of the things that happened, though, which which made us maybe stand out a bit from our competitors and the other big four was, um, you know, when Sarbanes-Oxley came out in, I guess, 2001, 2002, and, and put a lot of pressure on the services you could deliver to audit clients, you know, pr prior to that, historically, you, you know, the, the independence rules were, were, were fairly limited in terms of services you could deliver if you had an audit client. Um, once once Sarbanes-Oxley came out, you know, that 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 really changed those rules and, and um made it um, much more difficult to deliver a lot of, you know, kind of maybe the big um, technology implementation projects and some of those other things that we used to do in the past. Um, and so the rest of our competitors at that point who had consulting practices, and once again, ours was relatively small, spun them all off in, in various transactions. Um, we didn't. So we, we kept our consulting practice. 
Um, and so we had a, we had a base to start with, and and I think once we made that decision, um, you know, then we were all in, and and we really believe still that you know having one firm that can you know deliver so many different services is is a benefit to our clients, right? So we we look at this and say, hey, um, you know, we can. We can be your auditors, we can be your tax, we can do your consulting, you know, you can, you can come to us and we can deliver all these professional services that, that you need to help you be successful over so many different areas. And, you know, clients change, you know, one day you may be an audit client of ours, one day you may be a tax client of ours, one day you may be a consulting client of ours, you know, one day the CFO from one client that's an audit client may go over to us, become the CFO of a consulting client of ours. And so being able to to really get our brand known as we can do everything um, under that umbrella is, is, is important to us and has been a key part of our strategy. And so I, I, I really think, um, you know, that that was what was so much different compared to our competitors and why we're in the position we are today. Um, and, and then I would say, you know, as time has gone on, um, you know, we, we really see the value in, you know, clearly, you know, being able to kind of have that traditional core, but also the consultative services are, are yeah. significantly growing, you know, to your point, digital, cyber, um, you know, talent, workforce, you know, there's so many different, different things that we can consult on and, and, um, you know, hire people and we have a model in place and we have, you know, great partners and how to deliver these. And, and so, you know, I think that's our reputation and, 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 yeah. you know, building off the brand that we had for audit and tax many years ago has, has been really helpful. So, you know, I know it's a bit of a long winded answer, but, um, yeah, that that's what differentiated us. And and if you look at our competitors, like you know, Accenture, great company, but they can't do audit and tax, right? So you yeah. know, they're they're purely you know more on the technology side and you know other services they can do. And so you know, each of each of those is somewhat different. And then if you look at the big four, you know, each of them has regrown some of their consulting practices, but I don't think they have the same scale we do these days. No. So and okay. So let's 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 go off that point. So if you if you you do everything and that's that's the brand that you have and that makes sense to me and that's what's allowed you to really build trust with these clients over the years and there's still your clients because you can provide so many different services and of course you're cross selling across you know the multitude of things that Deloitte does but you have to find talent that can help them in all these different areas. So okay. So then the question is if you are going to help them with cyber and digital transformation and consulting in that area, how do you find that talent? Because I think that's probably going to be the most difficult thing because somebody who is, you know, fresh, young, really interested in anything, you know, cybersecurity, digital transformation, engineers, all of that stuff that could help these clients, those people I'm assuming skew towards like the startups in, F in SF, right? I feel like that's like the sexy place to work and Deloitte's like, you know, they've been around for forever. So how do you, how do you keep it fresh? How do you get these people in so that you can actually serve those clients? So it's, it's, it's a, it's a really great question, Scott. So, so um, I think, you know, five years ago, you would have, you know, we would have said we're focused on growth and that that that's the main thing. That's number one. And, and of, of course, we still are and we want to continue to grow our practice. And there's a lot of reasons for wanting to do that. You know, it gives us scale and the ability to attract more talent and so forth. Um, but I think since COVID in particular, it's changed so many things that we have a real shift now to focusing, you know, number one priority is talent. And, 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 I, and I know that's somewhat obvious. I mean, we don't we don't 
we don't we don't sell like cars you know we don't we don't have factories all we have are people and so so of course that's always been core to us and really important and you know we're very proud of our record of you know being recognized as a great place to work and across so many different you know um areas but but now we've really said hey wait a second you know we really if we want to continue to grow at the levels we have we're going to have to really change the way we think about our workforce and and to your point how do we attract people? I think I think Deloitte's always had a great brand, right? And so you know, yeah, if you're, yeah, that's if you're an accountant, you know, graduating, you're like, I want to work for a big four. If you're a tax professional, I want to work for a big four. If you're a consultant, you know, graduating from an MBA, a top school, you know, we recruit. You probably say I want to work for Deloitte, but that shifted now. To your point, I think I think this these younger um, college graduates are looking at the landscape, and and they kind of learned this last year. Well, you know, maybe I can work anywhere, but not have to move, you know, or be on the road all the time or all the things that are, you know, somewhat been the norms of the consulting business and, and even to some extent, the audit and tax business. Um, and so I think that's changed a lot of perceptions and saying, hey, you know, there's a lot of different things I can do. And, you know, I can live in Denver and work on a, you know, a bank in New York now, um, where in the past I might not have been as feasible to do. Um, I, I, I also think to your point, you know, some of these technology companies have become sexier and, you know, people want to go work for them and I want to, you know, be a startup and, and maybe Deloitte is perceived as, to your point, you know, a little bit, you know, older and slower. Um, so we've got to change that image. So we're investing you know, a lot of time in, in going to campuses and, you know, talking about what we do and helping to promote, you know, our vision of what we think the future is and flexibility and, you know, looking at what kind of rewards programs we have in place and, you know, how many days you're in the office versus on the road, um, sabbaticals, you, you name it. You know, we are we are taking everything. a, a hard everything because we have to work. That's what yeah. we're competing with. And plus the fact we're growing so large now, you know, in the, in the old days, you know, we wouldn't hire that many people. We're hiring, you know, probably, you know, 30,000 people this year or some number like that. You know, and so when you think about that, you know, we have to have a whole recruitment process in place. We have to have, you know, people who can go out and interview all these people. And so it's 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 a, it's a big shift. And, and if you talk to any of our leaders, I think all of us would say right now, number one is, is talent and figuring out how do we attract them? How do we retain them? How do we make them happy? You know, I, I think becoming a partner at Deloitte is still still a wonderful, wonderful, um, you know, career path. And, you know, but I'm, I'm not sure that's as visible to some of our younger people. Right. Like, why would I want to do this and stick around for 15, 16 years, you know, to become a partner? you know, when there's so many other cool things I can do between now and then. So we've got to, we've got to also really focus on our, our top people and explain to them why you want to have this career path, become a partner. And what are the, what are the advantages of that? And what kind of lifestyle does that mean? What kind of return on equity is that? Even though, yeah. you know, we're all private, so you don't, you don't necessarily get stock, but you own capital. So there's a lot, a lot of different, you know, messages we're trying to get out there today, but it's, it's, it is the number one focus. And that, that's what we're talking around in the boardroom and all of our businesses these days. And, and how has, and, and like, what does the future of Deloitte look like after COVID? Cause obviously you made some shifts like internally, like you're, you're working from home now. You haven't gone like, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll go to, you'll go to APAC again soon, but you haven't gone there in a, in a, in a minute. So, um, has it been difficult to, to move, uh, like the type of business that Deloitte is, which is like a very human to human business. Like you're talking to people, you're talking to the CEOs of companies, executives of companies, or you're talking to very senior up. And I think that, like you said, consultants are on the road, they're meeting people, they're sitting down for yeah. you know lunch and dinner and whatnot and, and building those relationships. That's like, that's so important because you're trusting the companies are trusting you with the core pieces of their business. Has it been difficult to do that over 
Zoom <laughs> virtually? Yeah, or... I mean, sh- shockingly, no. I mean, it, it, we, we have been blown away by how we were able to transition in March of 20 from, you know, our traditional model, which was you have to be on the, you know, if you're a consultant, on the, you're on the road every week. You know, if you're an auditor, you're at your client doing your audit. If you're a tax professional, you're out talking to the tax people. I mean, you are at your client, you are on site, you are traveling. And, and you know, literally overnight, um, we went virtual and it was pretty close to seamless. It was, it was unbelievable. And I, I think, you know, you've seen that when you look at the broader, you know, U.S. I, I think, you know, kind of professional services, you know, um, other, other, you know, technology, so forth. We were, you know, industries were able to, to make that shift. You know, the ones where you had to have face-to-face contact are the ones that got hurt the most. So, you know, hotels, restaurants, retail, yeah. you know, where people actually had to be there to, to do stuff, except, you know, we did see retail shifted to be online also, but, so, so I, so I do think, um, you know, we made that shift. And so I, so I think for the first year or so, um, it, it, it worked, you know, let's say till, till March of 21, um, you know, people worked from home and, you know, people were, you know, people's clients were at home. And so they, you know, did zoom and thank God for the technology that was out there, um, that made us able to do, you know, inter, you know, kind of interactive stuff like this, um, um, over our computers. And so, so it worked. What we're seeing now, though, is, you know, clearly there's some fatigue that's happened, you know, so so one is, you know, you have younger people who didn't meet anybody. Right. And so how do we acclimate them into Deloitte and how do we get them to meet people and how do we get them to experience our culture? To your point, you know, there is some, you know, I, listen, I won some business during COVID, you know, through Zoom. It's, it's amazing to me. I didn't meet anybody live. We did it this way. We set up meetings and, you know, I, I gave a pitch and we won. That, that only is going to last so long, right? Because one of these days, one of my competitors is going to go like, hey, I'm going to go over there and sit down with this person live um, while you're trying to do it by Zoom. And, yeah. and, and I do think, you know, that that would put you at disadvantage. So people will have to get out and, and also just create our networks. You know, you have to go to events. You have to see people. We can't do that when there's, you know, 300 people on a, a Zoom webcast no, or something can't. like that. So, so, so that'll happen. Um, but what we're also hearing is nobody wants to go back to being in the office five days a week, right? Our, our people don't want that. They, they want, you know, they want to get together, kind of, you know, have some say over, is it two days in the office? Is it three days in the office? You know, is it Mondays in the offices? Is it Fridays? You know, having some team events. So they want that interaction, but clearly not back to where, where we were. I mean, I have a daughter who's, you know, graduated college a year ago. You know, she's right in the middle of that. She lives in Manhattan and, you know, at first she was in the office five days and, and uh, you know, then she got to go and, and, you know, have kind of this virtual, you know, hybrid model. And she loves that, you know, she can be in Manhattan and do some things, still get her work done. And then she can go to the office some days, you know, and um, I, I, I do think that's something we're going to have to learn to, to, to live with and to change. And our clients are the same way, you know, our clients are not going to be sitting in their offices five days a week either. Um, so it's, 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 it's a big shift. And um, you know, it was good though. It, it, it kind of, disproved, uh, I think, a lot of things that we thought were, were, you know, absolute rules that you have to go to clients, you have to travel all the time, you know, you have to be there live, um, and you don't. Now, for me with Asia Pacific, I, I guess I was somewhat lucky as I got to spend a year going there live, so I met a lot of people, and in Asia, I think it's really important that you have that face-to-face contact and relationships, so I've been able to, you know, keep those alive somewhat this past year, through Zoom, but you know, it, it is reaching the point where that's getting stale. There's new leaders in place and so forth. And I got to get over there. I got to take a plane and fly 
Um, yeah. You know, once again, I'm probably not have, probably not having to the spring at this point with what's going on, but but it's it's gonna you know that 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 face to face contact will still be needed, you know. But but I don't think the same level it used to be. I th- I think it'll it'll be a hybrid model going forward. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Factor. Now it's a new year. I'm busy. I always 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 am running out of time. So when it comes to meals, I don't want to wait in line at a grocery store. I don't want to even have to drive if I don't have to. And I definitely don't want to spend a ton of time cooking in the kitchen. But now I don't have to meal plan or prep thanks to Factor. Factor makes it easy for me to eat clean 24-7. They deliver fresh, never frozen prepared meals that are so delicious you won't believe they're actually good for you. Factor saves time by delivering chef-crafted meals directly to my door, eliminating the hassle of grocery shopping, meal prep, but most importantly, eliminating the hassle of cleaning. And they have 27 meal options every single week, so I can guarantee you're not going to be bored. They also offer tons of great nutritional additions. They have vegan and veggie meals. They have cold-pressed juices, smoothies, energy bites, plant-based bars, extra protein, veggie sides, and what really whatever you want to keep you fueled and focused all through the day. If you want to try out Factor, they've set up a special code just for Success Story podcast listeners. So head over to go.factor75.com slash plans. That is go.factor75.com slash plans. Use the code SUCCESS120. That's going to give you $120 off your first five weeks of meals. Remember, that is code SUCCESS120 at go.factor75.com slash plans for $120 off. Um, I was, okay, so I want to also bring out some some learnings from like your specific industry and what you've seen yeah. in THS over the past two years. So, um, because I think, they were probably hit the hardest like like what what you what you do for a living was probably hit the hardest out of any industry um so walk me just tell me you know the story of of what happened to like travel and hospi- hospitality and also maybe if we can learn some lessons from how they navigated pandemic those are probably going to be the best lessons for anybody else in terms of redundancies contingencies continuity of business uh, just because if they can figure it out and what they, whatever they did, whatever you saw them do, any other business can probably take those lessons to some extent and just be better in whatever industry they're in. Because I think yeah. that's probably the toughest, that's the toughest sector for sure. It was the toughest sector. I mean, you know, one of, like I said, probably retail got pretty hard hit um, at the same time. Um, you know, and, and to my point, other industries, you know, thrived, you know, healthcare, technology, yeah. you know, professional services. So, you know, it, it was crisis mode, you know, unfortunately, I, I, I don't think, you know, in, in, in the wildest black swan, you know, scenarios, no, nobody in the industry perceived that literally overnight, everyone would stop traveling, right? I mean, literally, people would be in lockdown, the whole country, you know, worldwide. Um, so there, there was no scenario planning for that, right? Um, and it happened so quickly. So, you know, I think the industry did what it did in terms of having to, you know, really, you know, look at what are their costs and how do we, how do we immediately, you know, save in terms of our labor costs, in terms of, you know, rent, other things, you know, that they, that, that they're, you know, that they had. And so, 
Um, I, I, I think the industry, you know, did what they had to at that point. I mean, most stuff was closed. I mean, listen, there's still some hotels closed and restaurants yeah, closed. That's true, that's true. Airlines aren't back to where they were. I'm not saying um, there's a magic bullet either. I just there uh, is no yeah, magic bullet. Yeah. So, so you know, I think since then, though, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, the industry has actually been coming back very strong on the leisure front. Um, you know, is as, as you know, I've taken some trips, you've probably taken some trips. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, people are starting to travel again for vacation um, and for fun. And so I think the industry is is doing what they can to adjust to that and think about, OK, it's not the business traveler spending a ton of money um, to stay at, a, you know, at more expensive hotels and have fancy dinners. Um, it's more the leisure traveler. So let's let's think about, you know, what things they want differently and, you know, how do how do we do that at the same time? You know, the message of safety is is become really important and making your guests feel that you're safe, you know, from COVID. You don't want to you don't want to stay at a hotel or a restaurant or be on a cruise ship or whatever it is on an airplane and catch COVID. And so, you know, a lot a lot of message around safety and doing their best to demonstrate to the you know to their their guests that they, they will be safe. Um, but I think the challenge right now is you know things have started you know come back um, and you know. I think there was a jobs report today actually came out it was really positive in terms of the number of people who came back to work. You know, it's been it's been a challenge to find people because you know everyone everyone you know, I think a lot of people reevaluated what they were doing in these industries. Yeah. You know, after with COVID and now are saying, hey, if I can do something else that pays more, I don't want to go back to being a you know dishwasher or a waiter or a front desk clerk or a housekeeper. And so I think there's been a little bit of labor shortage, so that that's causing some challenges maybe on the rebound as much as you would. And then I think there's still you know, the, the challenge of it's, you know, if you're a convention hotel in downtown Manhattan, <coughs> nobody's nobody yet is going to do big conventions. I mean, that's just not happening. And so, you know, the business traveler hasn't come back. So it's like, what do you do to attract more leisure traveler and to to make things more attractive? I mean, listen, the airlines are, you know, planes are filling up again. So I think yeah. they're, you know, slowly bringing back capacity. And, you know, that's important. You know, the same issues. They're facing some labor challenges also and getting their workforce back. Um, and up and running. And so, um, but I, I, you know, I, I wish I had some huge lessons to be learned from that, Scotty, but it was, it was, it was, it was a crisis mode. It was like, but I reading the lines though, it says like, like they're still, so they're pivoting from their core competency, doubling yeah. down on the things that are available to them. So you're seeing them <clears throat> pivot from business travel. They're doubling down on personal, like leisure, leisure. travel. Um, and that's, that's sort of how they, that's how they've survived. And then I guess I'm assuming they're also trying to attract talent. <laughs> probably, to probably attract talent. Yeah. yeah. We're, you know, listen, we're, I, I think what's been interesting to see is there, you know, there hasn't been a slew of bankruptcies. There hasn't been a, no. you know, no. a lot of, uh, foreclosures. I, I think across the spectrum, you know, the, the lenders and the owners have been willing to work with the operators and everyone to kind of say, Hey, this is going to be temporary. We'll get through this. You know, let's focus on cash. Um, let's, you know, try and get as much as we can to pay our bills and, you know, open the doors and, you know, take care of our customers and our guests um, and and not do anything drastic, like, you know, start foreclosing on a ton of hotels or restaurants or this or that, because, you know, that that that, that would have been bad. And so that that has not happened. So I think there's been, you know, a, a willingness to, to probably extend things a little bit more to say, hey, the, the recovery is happening. And, and, and I think that's the good news, because as the leisure travel happens, you know, at least the the owners and operators will say, hey, we are getting some cash through the door. We can at, at least maybe cover maybe everything except our mortgage at this point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, operations is positive. Let's let's look at the, you know, look at that and, you know, hope that another six months here from now, we'll start to see some more business travel come back, which which it will. Um, you think at the same you know, level? Do I don't think it's going to be the same level anytime soon. You know, the, the, the challenge is, 
Um, you know, as I've said, you know, look, look at a company like ours, you know, we're, we're not going to we're not going to ramp up to the same level we were pre-COVID because we have a new model now. We have a hybrid yeah. model where we don't have to have, you know, and, and you know, pre-COVID, we're, you know, we're probably a top five traveler, um, you know, just based on the nature of our business. Um, that's going to be much slower to come back because, you know, we're not we're not going to force people to go on planes to fly to clients who really don't want to see them um, when they can do some of this on a hybrid way and and operate virtually. But but it'll come back more than it is. I mean, you know, we, we got to get people together. We have to have face to face interaction with our clients. We have to go places where we can help grow our business. And, you know, so it, it'll come back. So, you know, do we see maybe you know, by the end of next year, back to 50% of pre-COVID. Yeah, I think that could happen. Um, okay. So, so, you know, you're, you're entrenched in this industry. That's why like yeah. you're, you're seeing it like better, well, better than most. I'm guessing like everybody else. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> no, no, but I think, no, I, I, I respect it. Like you're, you're just, you're just, you're just trying to figure out as you, as you yeah. go, like what's, what's going to happen. But I just, you know, I'm just curious because you're, you, this is like, you know, you're living and breathing this every single day. So I'm sure you, you have some conversations with people and you're seeing some life come back into their businesses and whatnot. So that's just a good thing. Um, yeah. and I just, it's just interesting. Cause I think that they, I think that even though it is going to come back, like you mentioned, like the future is hybrid, the future yeah, the is hybrid. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I would add, you know, when you think about the industry and looking at a little broader, also, I mean, look, if people are starting to go to sports again, stadiums yeah. are filling up, um, people want to go to concerts, you know, Broadway's opening up, you know, you have all these other things. Once again, these are all leisure activity type things, but yeah. you know, those, those are all impacting the industry again. Um, and, you know, knock wood if, if we don't have another you know, big outbreak of COVID and, you know, with everyone getting vaccinated and yeah. so forth, that, the chances that are less and less, then I, I think that's all heading in the right direction. Um, and so yeah, that's a good thing, but you know, are people going to be back in their offices hundred percent of the time? You know, I, I just, you know, I don't see that happening. You know, you look at Midtown Manhattan, it's, it's, I was there last week, you know, there's, there's way more people walking around, there's restaurants, you know, now we're opening the borders internationally again, you'll have more people coming. Um, but the office buildings aren't going to be at hundred percent like they were. I mean, you know, I, I, at our, I was in our building, I, I mean, I maybe saw five people on the floor, which used to be packed. Um, yeah. Because people are working hybrid and they like that. So that that is a change. Very interesting. Okay. Um, I want to I want to ask some rapid fire career questions. Yeah. I always do this to like to close it out. Um, but just, you know, before before I pivot, um, was there anything else that's like top of mind that you've learned through COVID? Any other any other things that were just like really uh, applicable for Deloitte or for, you know, your own digital transformation for employees? For THS, yeah. we didn't go into because I know we went into we went to a lot of different things, but I, yeah. I just didn't want to. I I can't remember if I forgot something to to bring up because I know we we wanted to go into a few different things and speak about some of the realities that you've sort of faced over the past couple of years. So yeah, so we we've touched on a lot. You know, one one clearly, um, you know, kind of myth buster around we have to be on the road all the time. Um, yeah, not not true anymore, and that we can we can. Our people can be very flexible where they live and who they serve. Big myth, yeah. you know, myth buster from the old days. You have to sit in the office where you're serving clients. So, so that that's one. You know, two is um, we, we probably have talked a lot about you know just the the digital transformation. You know, the the use of technology going forward. I mean, obviously it's always important, but what COVID showed, it's really really important. You know, the fact we're able to continue seamlessly to serve our clients. That's only because of you know changes in digital, and and that's only going to continue to become more and more powerful into our business in terms of what we do and how we interact with our clients, how things get done, um, 
And so, you know, we're investing a lot in that space and in, in becoming, um, you know, it's, it's such a cliche, but it's true, you know, yeah. I'm thinking about the future and what, what technology will look like and what, what kind of technology we need internally and how we help our clients with that. I think the third is, you know, the focus on the workforce, you know, that, that always important. Once again, that's all we have, but really super, super important now as we see our turnover start to go up, you know, coming out of COVID, you know, how, how do we change? You know, how do we become more flexible? How do we attract, as you've said, you know, engineers, different type of people with different backgrounds to do the things that we're going to need to do in the future? Because, you know, as I'm sure everyone says, that, you know, the change in pace of technology is always way faster than we ever think it will be. And yeah. so, you know, really thinking about, OK, what are we going to look like in five years? What kind of people do we need? Um, that 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 is a big change for us. So so I think those are probably the big learnings that came out of, of COVID for us and kind of where we see ourselves going. You know, meanwhile, hey, we're, we're doing really well. We're very happy, um, you know, in terms of our past year. You know, we love that. You know, we, we've still been able to serve our clients and, you know, they've been happy and feel that, you know, we're, we're delivering on what we need to. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a great business model. And, you know, hopefully we can continue it forward. Good. Very good. Um, okay. So also if people want to connect with you in any way, um, where should they go? Is there LinkedIn, Twitter? Like yeah. Tell, your... tell LinkedIn's probably the best way. Yeah. You know, you can, you can find me. I check that fairly frequently, you know, frequently. If you want to reach out to me, just shoot me a note through LinkedIn. Now I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode grin. Now grin is the number one creator management platform, helping e-commerce brands connect with their audience through the power of creator partnerships. Now, influencer marketing, it's easy to get lost in the spreadsheets and busy work, combing through a messy web of communications, looking for content, wondering about campaigns, are they delivering, where are the data points, have you shipped the creative yet, have you shipped the product yet, uh, have they billed, have they invoiced, all of the headache that comes with managing creators and influencers, that's where Grin comes in. So Grin is an all-in-one software that allows you to treat your creators like your brand revolves around them, even though you're actually saving yourself a ton of headache. Grin helps you find and recruit the perfect ambassadors for your brand, streamlines the communication process, collects all the creator content in one spot, tracks the ROI in real time so you can create smarter campaigns that drive sales. With Grin, one person can do the work of an entire team. You can find and recruit influencers, communicate with them, ship product, aggregate creator content, measure ROI all in one spot. You are maximizing every dollar you invest in influencer marketing and you are eliminating all of the headache, all of the busy work. Brands like Liquid IV, First Aid Beauty, Movement, they all run influencer marketing campaigns at scale and work with thousands of creators at the same time. They're all using Grin. So you need to treat your creators like your brand revolves around them because in the creator economy, it does. Experts believe that influencer marketing will become a $15 billion industry by 2022. So this isn't going away anytime soon. You have to figure out how to use influencers and creators at scale. Find out how Grin can help you grow your brand. Watch the demo at grin.co. That's G-R-I-N dot C-O. Influencer marketing is easier with Grin. Find out why at grin.co. That's G-R-I-N dot C-O. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll link I'll link that in the in the yeah. show notes as well. Um, okay, so let's do some career some career questions. Um, just to bring out some insights because you have an incredible career, obviously. Um, biggest challenge that you've had in your own personal professional life. What was that? How'd you overcome it? 
Uh, the biggest challenge for me has probably been being a career changer. So, you know, I was always going to be a hotel operator and, you know, that, that was my lifelong dream. As I, as I told you, I spent five years in industry and then I, I kind of hit this wall of saying, I don't like what I'm doing and I don't see myself doing this forever. And so I really had to recreate myself. And so going back and getting my MBA um, and, and what I left out when I came to, I started at the bottom. I mean, nobody gave me any credit. You know, I was, you know, five years older than everybody else starting. And, you know, they just are like, Hey, you, you got to start at the bottom and prove yourself. So that, that was probably for me, the biggest change, you know, completely changing careers, becoming a CPA, going to work professional services firm from always wanting to be in the hotel business. But, you know, once again, 29 years later, it, it turned out pretty well, did okay. It, it did turn out pretty damn well. Yeah. But 29 years later, you don't always have that foresight. Um, yeah. How did you How did you force yourself, push yourself, get in the right mindset to restart? I, I just, I you know, I, I spoke to a lot of people and, um, you know, I, I was like, okay, I, I'm not going to get where I need to go. You just continue to work in, in the industry at that point. And so for me, you know, getting an MBA was critical. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll go back to school. I'll, I'll learn something new. Um, I'll get some more skills, but that'll also open doors for me to, to change careers. And so, you know, I, I'm a big believer and, you know, that that's one of the, the key reasons to get an MBA if you're changing careers, um, because it, it opened all the doors for me. I never would have gotten into the door of Deloitte because I didn't have the skills. You know, I, I had to be able to sit to take, you know, the CPA. And so, you know, I, I said to myself, okay, I'm going to try this. And spoke to enough people saying having a CPA would never hurt me. You know, there's nothing, nothing bad going to come from that. Worst is I, you know, wasted two years in business school um, and got my way, you know, into a different career. But, you know, on, on the upside was it opened a whole new uh, avenue for me. And so um, that, that was kind of how I, I made this decision at that time. I mean, it's hard to believe I was 26. That I was thinking that far to the future, but it worked. Yeah, you know, yeah, I did. So, uh, <laughs> That's I good. That's good, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you had to choose one person, there's probably been many, but if you had to choose one person who's been super impactful on your life, could be a mentor, could be a parent, could be a spouse, whatever, it could be professional. Um, who was that person? What do they teach you? So, so um, it's a retired partner at Deloitte. Um, I have to say who it is, Ron Rickless. Um, he's he's been probably retired for about five six years now, and he he is a he's been a, a critical mentor of mine um, throughout my career. Um, and so, when I was a young manager. You know, three, four years into the firm, I, I got a chance to work with him. And it's kind of funny because he had this reputation that was not very good, uh, which I, you know, turned out wasn't true at all. And so he kind of took me under his wing and and, and I just learned so many things about him from him. Um, you know, things like, you know, Ron, Ron has a great attitude about about work, like critical, you know, to serve your clients well. On the other hand, it's 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 just a job. Right. So, you know, don't don't get you know too caught up in. Um, you know, worrying so much about stuff. Don't take things personally, you know, and, and those are like lessons you learn. Like I'd have a client yell at me and he'd be like, you know, why are you getting so upset? It's like, you know, our bills are getting paid. It's like, you know, this isn't life or death. It's like, you know, let him yell at you if he wants to. And so just putting things into perspective. And then, you know, throughout my career, he's provided opportunities for me and, you know, giving me advice, you know, about my personal life. Actually, the house I'm in now, I remember I was trying, looking to buy it. I learned it's a lot of money. And he's like, he's like, you only live once, you know, buy the house, enjoy it. And so um, things like that, you know, he's, he's, he's just a wonderful person who, who everyone likes a lot and who I still talk to on a regular basis. But, you know, for me in, in my career, he just was made such a big difference in giving me good advice, getting me on to write clients, introducing me to people. And he, he you know, Without him, I would I wouldn't be here. I could give you 
five other names, but he's he's I'm probably sure, the first yeah. one that came to mind. So good, very good. Um, a book or a podcast that you'd recommend people go check out? Um, you know, I read I read like everything across. I'm trying to think. I'm looking at my my shelf here of what I've read recently. Um, uh, you know, I I'm like. <laughs> I'm like a science fiction person, so uh, well, it doesn't have to be I mean, a business book. It yeah, you know, I, you like. you're going to laugh at this, but I, I don't know if you saw Dune is out again. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm rereading Dune. Actually. Really? That's yeah. good. That's awesome. I read it years ago, Frank Herbert, and I loved it. And so I'm rereading, it. and it's 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 kind of really cool. And there's been a lot written about it because if if you you know rereading through it, it's talking about you know. A world where you know there's no water and stuff so this is very real in terms of what's going on in the real world today and yeah and kind of all the political stuff so um yeah I, I watched the movie and i was like hey this movie's awesome and so i, I took the book out again i'm like i guess i gotta reread these authors i loved them when i was a little kid and i i love them again i you know but i i i'll read a lot of historical fiction i'll yeah. i'll I'll read a lot of light of everything, but that that's what I'm that's what I'm reading at the moment. I love it. And honestly, like stuff that just like either like de-stresses or makes you more creative yeah. or whatever. It doesn't have to be business stuff. It's it's yeah. good. Yeah. I've 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 uh, I haven't seen the movie yet, so I got gotta go. Awesome. It was really good. <laughs> good, good. Um if you could tell your twenty year old self one thing, what would it be? Um you, you know, I would probably say um don't worry so much about the short term, right? You know, was, I, I think uh, I would tell my 20 year old self, guy, you get so caught up in well, what's this job and, you know, what am I doing tomorrow and so forth. I, I would tell myself, think more long term and think about the future. Um, you know, take, d d don't worry so much what happens on a day to day basis and, and have a plan for what you want to do. But also be realistic and it'll probably change multiple times. I, I in a million years when I was 20, couldn't have told you this is where I'd be today. This is probably wasn't even on my radar. So, you know, don't be afraid to take risks. Don't be afraid to try new things and, and don't, don't get so caught up in the short term. I love that. Uh, and lastly, uh, what does success mean to you? You know, success to me, I, I've always been a big believer in you, you got to have balance, right? Um, so, you know, you, you can work 100 hours a week if you want to, right? And, and you know, maybe that'll give you success if you didn't want to define it in, you know, money or whatever, um, you know, seniority, fame, all those things. But I, I, I look back at my life and I, I kind of think I've, I've always had balance. Like, you know, I, I went to my kids' plays. I coached my kids' soccer teams. Um, I spent time with my family um, and balance that with, with being successful at work um, and, and achieving things. And so... The, the other piece that ties into that in terms of balance is you got, you got to be able to rely on people and, and learn early on, you know, how to delegate. Um, I'm, I'm a huge believer in if someone else can do it and that's not what I'm supposed to do, then they should do that. You know, the firm pays me to be a partner and a senior leader mm -hmm. doesn't pay me to do, you know, other stuff that others can do. And so I've always, you know, pushed my teams to, to do what they need to do. So I delegate to them. doesn't mean I give up you know, in terms of coaching them or guiding them or taking responsibility for what they do. Um, but but learn early on how to delegate and to get others to help you. And that's that's the key to success. And then you can have that balance because if you try and do everything yourself, you won't. And so, you know, having people you can rely on, you can delegate to, who you keep an eye on is is, is critical. And that that has been, you know, I, I could, you, know, you tell me in terms of mentor, you know, yeah. the people I've mentored over the years, you know, who, who have achieved success, I'm, I'm even, you know, more proud of um, because that, that's critical. And, and, you know, if, if you can't look back and have, you know, say, Hey, who are people I've helped be successful, then you probably need to take a step back. 
um, and, and relook at what you're doing. Because that's how you achieve all the things you want. And that's how you can have the balance ultimately to do fun things um, and not work all the time. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works. One data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash Clary. That's netsuite.com slash Clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a quality qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. 
it's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 